Oh, man. Shoot. Y'all doing all right? Man, look at y'all. Y'all look great. All the moms in here, y'all dressed up looking great. Happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, I know Mother's Day can be a joy for a lot of us. I know uh, sometimes it can be uh, not so joyful as well. But, uh, man, we're so thankful for our moms. And so whether you're here and your mom's in heaven or whether your mom's here with you this morning, we are thankful for our mothers, and we can all agree on this. We would not be here without them. Can we celebrate them one more time? Uh, happy Mother's Day. All right. All right, John chapter 8, uh, get your Bibles, John chapter 8. Let me pray real quick while you turn there, and we'll dive in together. God, we love you, and we're just thankful again, God, for our moms. A lot of times through a mother, we see God's love, and we're thankful for them. I thank you for the seniors that's graduating. God, I pray that you uh, give them, uh, God, direction, and God, use them in the world for your glory. And so we just thank you for them. Thank you for your word, and as we dive in it, God, I pray you speak to us this morning, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, John chapter eight, verse one, says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. He had left the temple and went to the Mount of Olives and everyone else went home. It reminds me that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but Jesus doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. And he'd go to the Mount of Olives often. And we see him going there and sleeping there. And the next morning, it says at dawn, verse two, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Man, I love that Jesus sat down to teach them. That's so personable, relatable, loving. He gets at the feet of people and speaks to them. You know, a lot of the Pharisees would stand on the street corner so they could be seen. But he don't care about being seen, but sharing with other people. And he sat down to teach them. Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Want to say happy Mother's Day again to all the moms in here? I don't know who picked out this text. <laughs> Billy's trying to pull one over on me. But in God's sovereignty, we land on Mother's Day talking about a woman caught in adultery. And it makes me LOL. <laughs> and they made her stand before the group by force. They drag her out. And said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the act. Can you imagine what she looked like? Maybe she was half-dressed. Maybe she was embarrassed. Maybe she had been took advantage of by boys growing up. Maybe she had some father wounds. Maybe she was just trying to look for a man to love her. But all we know is they drag her out in front of everybody and made her stand. In verse 5, it says that they said, In the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They were using this woman as bait to try to trick Jesus. Because if Jesus says, yes, go ahead and stone her, he would be going against the Roman government who put Jews to a stop to executing people on their own. And he'd be going against the Roman government. But if he said, no, don't persecute her, don't throw the stones, he'd be going against the law of Moses. So it's a lose-lose situation. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, he bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. That's an absolute boss move right there. 
I mean, they're questioning him, and Jesus starts doodling in the, in the sand, starts writing in the dirt. I wonder what he wrote. Maybe he wrote down the Pharisees' names. Maybe he wrote down her name. Maybe he wrote down the man that she was caught in adultery with, because where's this guy at? I don't know what he wrote, but whatever he wrote, it was the word of God because it was God's finger doing the writing. In verse 7, it says they kept on questioning him. And he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you as without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He said, Hey, that's fine. Go ahead and throw the stones, but if you want to use the law to condemn her, then use the same law to condemn yourself. You want to use this to stone her. If you're without sin, go ahead. He gives them permission to stone her as long as they don't have sin. And then it says he stooped down again and started to write in the sand. I wonder if that was the moment she got scared. I wonder if that's the moment she started to tense up. Maybe she thought, this is the end. I'll never see my son again. I'll never see my daughter again. Maybe this is the end for me. But something else happened. Something amazing happened. Stones started hitting the ground. In verse 9, at once, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. On a count of three, say only Jesus. One, two, three. Only Jesus. And he was standing there with the woman. And he straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Notice the question. Has no one condemned you? The answer is yes. But notice the other question. Where are they? And the answer is gone. Because in Christ there's no condemnation. And I would ask you the same thing. If you're in Christ, if you're saved and a believer, where are they? Where's your past? Where's your sins? Where's your shame? Where's your guilt? Where's your identity before Christ? It's gone. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. It's gone. We're free in Christ. And then he says, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. He showed her grace, no condemnation. But then he gave her truth, leave your life of sin. He rescued her. But then he commissioned her. He didn't condemn her for her sin, but he didn't condone her sin either. He freed her from both. And when Jesus spoke to the people, he turns around and says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And real quick, I want to give you really fast seven truths that I've seen in my time of God in this passage. Seven truths from this passage. Truth number one. All have fallen short of the glory of God, including you. Notice the invitation Jesus gave in verse 7. Let anyone without sin be the first to throw a stone. But notice the response in verse 9. At this, they begin to go away one by one. Why? Why did they walk away? Because this ain't just a story about an adulterous woman. It's a story about an adulterous people. You're in the story. I'm in this story. 
We're all in this story. I want to do something crazy. On, on the count of three, I want the first person in here who's never sinned or don't have any sin in your life, I want you to stand up. Don't get embarrassed in here now. One, two, three. Whoa, praise God, because that was going to be awkward right there. You know what I'm saying? It had been a bad time to get up and go to the restroom right there. It, because 1 John says, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar. We've all sinned. Brother James says it this way. Y'all want to know what James says? Y'all do? Okay, good. All right, I'm going to tell you. It says, James 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, adulterous. Romans says they exchanged the, cre the creator for created things. In other words, all of us have loved God's stuff more than him. Have you ever thought of your sin as, as a spiritual adultery? Have you ever thought about that? Love this story. There was a dad who, who loved his kids. He had a, a, a little boy and a little girl. And he loved, his, at the end of the day, he loved coming home and playing with them. It was the joy of his day. And every day he'd come home and play with his kids. And one day he said, you know what? I'm going to build a tree house for them. And they'll know just how much I love them. They're going to love this one. You can't wait. They can't wait, wait till they love me after I do this. And he went and he built this tree house. And then the next day he came home and he's looking for his kids. He's like, Dad's home. They weren't nowhere to be found. They were out there in that tree house. And then the next day he, he came home again. He said, Dad's home. What's up? They're outside in that tree house. That went on for about a week or two. And what happened is they got so caught up with the creation, so caught up with what he created for them, they forgot to love their own father. I know if I was that dad, I'd pour gasoline on that thing and burn that thing to the ground. But that's what happens. And that's what sin does in all of us, including me. The reason we fall short of the glory of God is because we use creation to glorify ourselves. That's what sin does. And if this passage shows us anything, it shows us that some seek glory in rebellion and some seek glory in religion. But both have fallen short of the glory of God. You may be lost in lawlessness or legalism, but both say, God, I don't need you. I don't need you. I'll live how I want, or I'll work my own way to you. I'll do a religious activities. You see, you may be lost in lawlessness or legalism, but this passage teaches us that whether you're a woman caught in adultery or whether you're a teacher of the law or anywhere in between, we are desperate in need of Jesus. Truth number two. Self-righteousness in us always sees the sin in others before it sees the sin in ourselves. I love in verse three, they say, hey, they made this girl stand up before him and they point the fingers at her. This woman was caught in adultery. Now, but they can't point the fingers at themselves. I want you to think about a couple names in your mind right now. First name that pops in. Two or three names. Y'all got them? Now, how quick can you think about sin in those people's lives? Maybe they live with you. Maybe they go to church with you. Maybe they're your friends or family or people you went to school with. But how quick can you point out their sin? You see, the problem with self-righteousness is it looks at the sin of others instead of the sin inside yourself. And it blinds us. And it forgets God's grace is the only reason we have righteousness to begin with. It focuses on your performance and looks at self to fix what only God can fix. When Adam and Eve sinned, they ran 
and tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves, tried to fix their own selves. And God said, hey, that's not gonna work. And something had to die. He made a sacrifice and clothed them, hashtag Jesus, picture Jesus. But with the natural tendency is when we break something, we wanna fix it. Here recently, about four weeks ago, we had to redo our floors in our house. And I had all the furniture out of the bedroom into the living room. You ever went camping in your own house? And we're in there sleeping on the floor and we were so ready to get back into the bedroom. Finally, the floors are finished. And mama's pumped, I'm pumped, the kids are pumped, we got brand new floors, we're about to get back to life as, as normal. And, but I got this big dresser and I really don't wanna scratch my floors. And so I call for some help. And I call a guy named Ethan Floyd. And I was waiting on him to get there. I said, you know what? I'll try to, I'll try to move this myself for a minute. And I, I put a sleeping bag up under one end and I picked it up and started going through the house, no scratches. And I made it all the way to my bedroom, almost where I'm at, and then his, he pulled up. And I said, all right, I'm, no more risk. I'm gonna wait, he's gonna come in here and we'll get this thing taken care of. He comes inside, I said, all right, Ethan. He comes in, I said, all right, Ethan, hey, pick up that side, I'm gonna put a sleeping bag under there, we're gonna move it. He picks it up, when he picks it up, the whole dresser moves forward and he, and he scratches the floor right, right there in front of my eyes. <laughs> and, the, and the last thing I wanna do is talk bad about Ethan in front of our whole church. <laughs> but if you know our relationship, you know I love him, and if y'all know him, you, you love him too. But man, you gotta be better than that. You gotta be, you gotta be. But my first, my first response was, I was trying to fix it. I was trying to fix it. And we laughed we laugh about it, but I was trying to fix it. Sin has left a mark on your life you cannot fix. You cannot fix, you cannot erase it, you cannot cover it. There's nothing you can do within yourself, but sin in you blinds you to think that you actually can and Satan loves it. It takes your eyes off Christ and puts your eyes on yourself. In John chapter nine, a chapter later, there's a blind man. And Jesus comes up and heals him, gives him sight. And the Pharisees, who are blinded by self-righteousness, are so mad because he did this on the Sabbath. And what Jesus is trying to show us is there's something worse than being, spirit, than being physically blind. Because when you're physically blind, you know you're blind. But when you're spiritually blind, you're blind and don't even know it. And that's what sin in us does. It blinds us spiritually. It misses the gospel and replaces what Christ has done with what we do. If I do this, then God loves me. And now if God loves me, we can look up to ourselves. And when we look up to ourselves, we'll naturally look down on others. It blinds us. You see this with the Pharisee and the tax collector. They were both praying in the temple. And the Pharisee prays to God and he says, God, praise God, I'm not like this tax collector. Thank you that I'm not like him. But then the tax collector wouldn't even look up to heaven. And he beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what self-righteousness does. It forgets the sin in our lives and notices sin in other people's lives. And every one of us have it. It misses, it comes out in our prayer request. It can come out in our jokes. It can come out in our social media posts. It can come out in our gossip or even in connect groups. Sometimes we talk about the sin of others 
because it makes us feel better about the sin in our own lives. And it can belittle Jesus because to add to the gospel is to lose the gospel. And it believes that we are made right by something we've done and not what Christ has done in our place. But the beauty of the cross is it gives us what we don't deserve. It gives us something better, something that we could never gain and never earn. Even Paul says, I don't deserve to be an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the problem with self-righteousness is it believes that we've done something to earn God's favor. But even God says, your best works, your best hour to try to earn my love is like filthy rags. Your best performance in your life doesn't stand a chance because I'm so holy. I'm going to have to do something in your place. Write this down. There's no room for self-righteousness in the kingdom. There's no room for self-righteousness in the kingdom. No one walks through the narrow gate with a strut. Nobody. We all come humble and, and broken. You know, we wouldn't even hire half the people from the Bible. Half of them we wouldn't even hire. No one is self-righteous in the Bible. Think about me and Billy and the elders. We're about to hire someone and, and David comes walking through the door. About to hire him, and we're, we're looking at his paper, we're looking at his, at his history, and we're like, hey man, I see uh, where you have a heart, got, you're a man after God's own heart. But what about you sleeping with your best friend's wife and having him killed? I don't think this is, I don't, I don't think you're gonna be able to serve in kids' ministry here, you know what I'm saying, brother? I have to work on that. Or, like, what about Peter? It's like Peter, roll, Peter rolls in, sits down. What's up, Peter? Hey, man. I see where you walked in on the water. I really, that's cool. I like that. But I see you got a felony right here. You took a sword and cut a guy's ear off. Brother, I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to like, serve on the blue team, brother. You got some anger problems. We might could use him on the security team. I don't know. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know, and, and even me personally, I have trouble trying to preach on self-righteousness and not being self-righteous as I preach it. It comes out in my life. It, it, I, I love reading a book called New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. It helps me every morning to realize, man, I need God's mercy new every single day in my own life. And it shows me my own sin and shows me my, my own need of grace and that he has it for me. You see, we don't just need grace to make it to heaven in the future. We need grace to live for his glory right now in the present. And if we don't see self-righteousness in our own life, it's probably because we're self-righteous. Truth number three. True restoration takes both grace and truth. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they at? No one. That's grace. Grace. He's freed her. He's given her mercy. But then he says, now go and leave your life of sin. Jesus shows us the recipe for restoration and forgiveness and holding people accountable. It's grace and truth. That's the contents. And you can't love anyone without both. The problem with truth without grace is it dismisses the cross and your own need for it. It attacks the symptoms without getting to the real problem. It tells you you've done something wrong, but it doesn't give you a way out. It shows you you have sin, but it doesn't give you a solution. It uses the Word of God like an axe instead of a scalpel. 
But a good surgeon with a scalpel acts with love and cuts and, and tries to heal you. But a guy with an ax just takes God's word and nothing but truth, nothing but truth, nothing but truth, and never shows love or grace or his own need for Christ. And the problem with grace without truth is it never takes sin serious. But to dumb down sin is to dumb down Jesus because that is what he died for. Jesus didn't dismiss her sin. He told her to leave her sin. Her relationship with sin became different now than it was in the past. It's not that she's not ever going to mess up. It's just she ain't living for that anymore because she finds something better in Christ that actually gave her excuse to leave it behind because he's better. That's what it does. The gospel humbles us and then it heals us. And maybe you're here and you've experienced both sides of that. Maybe you're here and you've been to a church where they told you nothing but truth but never showed you any grace, never showed you any love, never acted as if they need Jesus. Maybe you've had been hurt by Christians or church hurt. Or maybe you've he been here and maybe you've been at a church or maybe even to a small group where they're heavy on grace. They're about that grace, about that grace, about that grace. And they ain't don't want to talk nothing about no truth. Not nothing. Because God forgives us. Yeah, girl, keep on doing it. You know what I'm saying? You, ever, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, hey, but, but, but Jesus does both. And that's the power of the gospel is it meets us where, us where we're at, shows us grace, but then shows us where to go next. It does both. He shows mercy, but then gives us a light to walk in. He shows us our sin, but then he shows us he's the solution. And this is the answer to everything. It changes everything. How would it change how you parent? You wouldn't just parent the symptoms. You would show them the solution. It's easy to just spank your kid and run off. But it's a different to say, hey, here's why you're doing what you're doing. And hey, this is sin. And hey, this is what God's got for you. And you call them up and parent their heart. It would change everything. You would even be honest to your kids about your own sin. And you would let them see, hey, you're not perfect. This truth would change how you do marriage. You'd be more patient. You'd be an instrument of grace to your spouse. But you would speak with love and you wouldn't try to be right all the time. This passage teaches us how to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. When you have friction in the church, Dane Ortland says, until you've encouraged him 10 times, you ain't earned the right to correct them one time. You would love them and encourage them. This is why Paul always starts his letters with, with encouragement before he drops the hammer. He does drop the hammer, but he starts it out with my crown and my joy. The elect in Christ, my grace, I write this with tears. He loves them where they are. And this passage teaches us how to make disciples. You'd be honest about your sin and before you accuse others of theirs. You'd relate to them and try to point them to Christ. You'd worry, you'd worry less about condemning others. And you'd worry more about reaching others. Grace and truth. It takes both. But not just grace and truth. Watch the order that he gave it in. Notice this, Jesus demonstrated grace and mercy before he told her to go live right. And nine times out of ten in the Bible when we see Jesus, he shows people grace first, compassion, then correction. Let me tell you something, take this with you. You earn the right to preach the gospel to people. You earn the right to. You build them relationships and get on their level. Write this down. You can be right the wrong way. 
but to be right the wrong ways to be wrong. And Jesus don't look just at what we say. He sees the heart behind the words and how we say what we say. And most of the time, you'll, you'll never lead an enemy to Jesus. People don't care what you know until they know you care. And I want you to see that the Pharisees called her out, but Jesus called her up. And there's a difference. Truth number four. Experiencing Jesus leads us out of sin, not into it. Leads us out. Calls us to something better. He says, leave your life of sin. Verse 12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. You can't follow Jesus and live in sin. Ephesians 2 says you were dead. You used to live like this. But because the grace of God, in light of that, you're dead to sin and, and alive in Christ. First uh, Corinthians six eleven says, some of you were this, but you're not anymore. Why did Jesus tell her to leave her life of sin? You want to know why? Because she went from adultery to adoption. And when that happens in your life, he's something better than anything else could offer. And that's why. And encountering that kind of grace changes everything. Hey, what would y'all do if I ran in here about 20 minutes late this morning? Y'all are waiting on me. Pastor Blake runs around the corner. And I'm like, whew, sorry guys. Didn't mean to be late. I got up this morning. I went for a jog. I, was, I went for an early morning run. And I wasn't paying attention where I was going. I, I went across the railroad tracks. And about that time, that train hit me head on. And I had to shake it off for a minute, but I'm glad to be here. What would y'all think? Y'all would be like, Pastor Blake's on drugs. Because you don't get hit by the force of a train and stay the same. What makes you think you would get hit by the force of God's love and God's grace and who he is and what he's done and that you would stay the same? He changes everything. Ask Zacchaeus. He went from stealing money to giving money. Ask the woman at the well. She went from sleeping with men to sharing the gospel. She went from the strip club to the witness stand. Ask Apostle Paul. He went from persecuting Christians to planting churches. Man, ask me. I went from riding the mechanical bull at Kerrigan's to being a pastor. Sometimes I want to go get on that thing again just to see if I can beat that record. I'm not. I'm playing. Just playing. Romans says, what shall we say? Shall we just keep on sinning that grace may abound? He says, by no means. We are those who've died to sin. We don't live for it no longer. We live for him now. We're saved. We're in him. Mark my words, because Paul's the one that said this. And wasn't he a teacher of the law? But he went from a teacher of the law to being a gospel preacher. And he went to point people to Jesus, which what the law is supposed to do. And mark my words, Jesus isn't looking for just religious people. Or people who make themselves feel good by religious activity. He's looking for people broken over their own sin. Who throw themselves at the feet of Jesus, clothed in honesty. Ready to trust in him alone and live lives of repentance. Because repentance is the byproduct of true belief. That Jesus took your spot on that cross. And it's the byproduct of, saying, of seeing Jesus clearly for who he is. And you for who you are. And for what he did on that cross, for what he did in your place. And that changes everything. That doesn't permit you to live a life of sin. It gives you a better reason to leave it. You see, worldly sorrow is sorry when your sin goes public. 
But godly sorrow is sorry when you sin in private. And at conversion, you go from breaking God's rules to breaking God's heart. You say, man, I don't wanna do that anymore. I got something way better than this world can ever offer me in Christ. I would never wanna do that anymore. But second nature of where we live at, the second nature is to proclaim him with our lips, but completely deny him with our lives. But lips that claim to praise him mean nothing when they're combined with a lifestyle that consistently denies him. Truth number five, only Jesus can throw stones and pardon sins. On the count of three, say only Jesus. One, two, three. Verse nine, it says that, it says he can forgive sins because he's the only one without it. Verse nine says, everyone left, but only Jesus was still standing. Why? Because he's the only one who hadn't sinned. Why can Jesus forgive sins? Because he's the primary one being sinned against. How can I forgive you if you ain't done nothing wrong to me? She didn't just sin against this man's wife. She sinned against God. And that's what Jesus is saying is I'm him. You've not just sinned against him, them. You've sinned against me. And he forgives her. Says I don't condemn you either. Only Jesus can forgive sins. But only Jesus can throw stones. And what I want you to see is he had every right to throw a stone. He had every right to pick up the stones and throw them. But you know what he did? He picked up the stones and threw them at himself. You want to know why? Because in order for Jesus to forgive her, he was going to go have to die for her. That's the gospel. Which leads me to truth number six. Jesus took the stones so you could take the mercy. He took the stones so you could take the pardon. It said, neither do I condemn you. And what I want you to see is somebody had to take the stones. Because God has a standard. Somebody has to be hit. But Jesus forgave her because he went to the cross for her. He picked up the stones, threw them at himself, and said, I want you to go free. You believe in me. And that's the truth for all of us if we're saved. Jesus in our place is what wins the battle. Nothing else. Ask the Israelites and the Philistines. Remember David and Goliath? As they shrink back, they cannot beat this giant. And then David comes in and slaughters him. Listen, it's not a picture of you slaying your giants. It's a picture of Christ slaying your sin. Goliath is your sin. And then Jesus steps in. David picked up five smooth stones. Jesus used five sheer letters, G-R-A-C-E. David cut Goliath's head off with a sword, but Jesus went under the sword and was cut off for our sakes. He was cut off so we could be brought in. He stood in the gap, and Jesus in our place is the only thing that frees us. Ask Abraham and Isaac. Ask Barabbas. Ask this woman caught in adultery. And that type of freedom will change your life forever. You don't have to live under the bondage of sin anymore. You can be free from it. You don't have to live under condemnation anymore. I'm free. If Jesus didn't stone me, why do I need to stone myself? I'm free in Christ. All my shame's gone. All my secrets don't have to live in secret no more. No guilt, no shame, all of that's gone. What about you? What would change in your life if you believe that Jesus didn't just die on a cross, but you believe that Jesus died in your place? You want to know what would happen? You would receive salvation first person. You'd say, me, 
save me, and you would come to Jesus. But you would explain salvation in third person. When someone says, man, how are you saved? You say, him, he did it. I've done nothing. I didn't do anything. He came and saved me, and you would let that truth free you up into works for him. And you'd work, he'd work through you, and you'd, he'd work through you into your life, into the world. It'd change everything in your life. Which leads me to truth number seven. You can know you have sin and still not believe into Jesus. You can know you have it and still not believe into him. Here's what the text says. Throw the stones if you don't have sin. And they all drop their rocks and they walk away. Why did they go away? Jesus didn't tell them to go away. Why did they go away? Because you can be close to Jesus and still not trust into him. Blake, you say into Jesus. You mean trust in Jesus? No, I mean trust into Jesus. Because there's a difference in trusting in Jesus and trusting into Jesus. One is a satanic faith. James says even the demons believe in Jesus. But one's a salvific faith. You believe into him. Rest into what he's done for you, the life he lived, the death he died, that he died for you on a cross. It's sitting down in Christ, leaving your sin, trusted in him fully. You see, one stops at facts and information, but one stops at faith and transformation. And isn't that something? That teachers of God's law were children of the devil. That's amazing. That's pretty scary. But what was missing? They had a theology, might not be a good one, but they had one. They had religion. They had scriptures. They had a good lineage. They would have fit right in here with us. But they didn't have Jesus. They didn't have the right Savior. Because instead of letting the law point them to their own need of Christ and a Savior and believing in Jesus as that Savior, they let it look into themselves and they're trying to do the right things to be saved. That's contrary to the gospel. It's contrary. If I had any advice to give you as we get ready to close, any advice whatsoever, here's some things I'd tell you. I'd tell you one, see your own desperate need of grace in your own life. Every single day, you should fall at the foot of the cross and praise God that you're saved. And you should find your own need of grace every single day. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. He didn't say that when he was persecuting Christians. He said that after he had planted multiple churches. The closer we get to Christ, the more we should see our own need of him in our life. I would tell you, Know your own desperate need of grace in your own life. Two, I tell you, drop the stones and pick up the gospel. It's the only solution for a broken people in a broken world. God didn't send out the 12 disciples with a bag of stones. He sent them out with a gospel message. And stones won't change anybody. But that message will. And how you treat other people when they fall into sin, reveals what you believe about sin in your own life. It'll show you what you believe about sin in your own life. And you cannot hate the people God's called you to reach. And then lastly, three, 
I tell you, let the scandalous gospel change the way you see Jesus. We all deserve the stones. But sometimes God don't give us what we deserve. Sometimes he gives us something better. Sometimes he gives us grace. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the book of Hosea. And I'm just gonna paraphrase this, so be gracious with me. But Hosea was a man that feared the Lord. He loved God. And God came to him one day and said, I want you to go marry an unfaithful wife. You find you a wife who's unfaithful and you marry her. And he found this girl named Gomer. That's a terrible name. And he takes her in, gives her a house, gives her a shelter, feeds her, forgives her. They have a little boy together. And a few years later, they have a little girl. And a few years later, they have another little boy. And then one day, he came home from work and she's gone. And she ran off with another man. And now he's a single dad. And God came up to him and said, I want you to go get her back. And he left and he went and found her. And then he brought her back and forgave her again. That went good for about a month and he came back home from work and she was gone again. Now he looks like an idiot, talk of the town, single dad. He's probably asking God, what the hell? God comes to him again and says, I want you to go back, get her again. And he goes into a bad part of town and he walks in the door and there she is there's men all around and he probably can't even look at her and he, he says I want my wife back they say I don't care what you want she comes with a price and, go, and Hosea pulls out the money and pays a price for something that already belonged to him. And when she's seen that type of love, it changed her heart forever. Hosea is Jesus Christ. And that girl is the church. That's me and you. And no matter what you've done, that's what he did on Calvary. He came and bought an adulterous people. And I would tell you, what else is it going to take? What else would God have to do? Is the cross not enough? Is his grace not enough? Is his love not enough? And I would tell you, for some of us in the room, we need to come back to Jesus. And then some of us in the room, we need to come to him fully for the very first time in our life. 
and trust that his grace is better than anything else that we're chasing in this world. So lastly, I tell you, do something with Jesus. Don't drop stones and walk away. Drop your stones and fall at the feet of Christ, naked and, and honest before the Lord. Let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for Christ and for him coming and paying a price in our place. God, there's no room for self-righteousness in the kingdom. So God, for us in the room right now, maybe you're in this room and you know you're saved, you've been walking with Christ, but maybe you've strayed away, maybe you've been focusing on other things. In the same way Hosea came back and got his woman, maybe, maybe Christ is knocking at your heart right now. You say, Blake, I know I ain't, I ain't been faithful to God, but this morning I wanna come back to Christ. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Just wanna pray for you. Thank you. And then for the rest of us, maybe you're here and you've never, never truly trusted Christ as your savior. And today, on Mother's Day, 2023, you say, you know what? I wanna surrender my, Christ, my life to Christ this morning. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? I just want you to raise your hand. Lift it higher, I can see it. Keep it up, keep it up. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, thank you for your love for us. God, thank you for the ones that rose their hand this morning to trust in Christ. God, we love you so much. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for coming back again and again and rescuing us with grace. In Christ's name we pray, amen.